All right, Richard, it's time to record our podcast on The Matrix. But Eric, how can you record a podcast if you can't speak? Is that your agent voice? Yes, that's my agent that voice. That was terrible. Well, I, I'm not an impressionist. <laughs> I can speak. I have a mouth. Okay. So, The it's Matrix. It's The Matrix. Yeah. I, I don't know what I think about it. I, 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 I think it's good. I like it. I was going to say, I'm surprised that I actually liked watching it again. It's very derivative. Yeah. It, it's it's funny because, you know, The Matrix is one of those things that f- it feels very pre-9-11 in a way. Yeah. You definitely, it's, it's very pre-Columbine. It's very pre-9-11. No, it was post, I thought it was post-Columbine. Well, it no, was- it, it came out before Columbine. Oh, but wow. It was definitely made before Columbine. Oh, yeah, wow. it came out, I think, in January or February of 99. Oh, I thought it was a summer movie. No, oh, it wow. wasn't. No. Uh-uh. Okay. Because this actually was only the second movie made by the Wachowskis. Yeah, and I knew this was... They the, made... Um, well, I forget what that movie was. was. It was the lesbian crime thriller. Bent? Bound? Bound. Yeah, Bound. Bound. And so if, if you know, if my knowledge of, of the kind of production of this movie holds up, it, it really was not seen as something that was going to become like some sort of phenomenon. And you know, it, it wasn't a summer movie because they were untested. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I don't think that it even cost that much to make. You know, in a lot of ways, it is weird that... I guess, you know, maybe a way into this is talking about why I wanted to do this movie. Okay, so let's take the blue pill. Yes. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, that's our way into it. Or our way out of it, I guess. No, the the, the red pill is the one that made it. Whatever. It's the one that they named the Reddit forum out of. (laughs) Um, No, because, I mean, I remember this movie being huge, being everybody saw it. It, it, it. was so of the moment. And I guess, you know, this was for me a, you know, this is kind of one of those phenomenon, phenomena that I thought was equivalent to Star Wars in a lot of ways. Um, you know, in that this was the movie that kind of, as, as you said, just came out of nowhere and just suddenly everybody saw and everybody was talking about and made, a, you know, changed a lot of stuff, put a lot of things into vocabulary, put a lot of iconography. And so... I wanted to see how it did date and what parts of it were dated. And it's it, it's interesting because, I mean, yes, you know, the philosophy, well, you know, we'll talk about that. It is it is very much the kind of movie that is, you know, you're making to, for a 16-year-old boy to think is the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah. And, you know, ha- I was a 16-year-old boy when I saw this movie, you know, so it did click. Um, well, you know, and I think it's interesting that you, you talk about the philosophy of The Matrix because w- what really struck me about it is how well it actually fits in thematically with our conversation about Groundhog Day from last week. Okay. You know, we decided to do Groundhog Day as a one-off just because it was Groundhog Day and it was, you know, it was going to be released around that time. And we both really liked the movie. But, you know, we talked a lot last week about how the the sort of middle brow popular culture stuff can kind of sneak Mm. in, you know, really profound ideas about the human condition, philosophy, all of these things. And The Matrix... It, you know, kind of slots into that as well. It is very, it's a very popular sort of culture yeah. movie. It's a very middle brow movie. And I'm not using middle brow as an insult. No, but, I mean, but in a lot of. It's, but it's not as successful as Groundhog Day. I don't think that it fully understands or engages with the ideas that's in it. And it's very derivative. Yeah. I'm um, not, basically, I'm not interested in the Matrix for its ideas about human culture. <laughs> no. I mean, in a lot of ways, again, I said 16, you know. This movie, this movie was where I le- ba- learned the basics of, you know, the allegory of the cave and stuff of that. And, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, this is the kind of movie that, you know, it will introduce you to a bunch of concepts. Now, there is much 
further that you can go. You know, the allegory of the cave is is a hell of a lot more sophisticated, for example, than this movie, you know, makes it out to be. But as sure. your first as your first, you know, philosophy 101 kind of a thing, um it's a very I mean, it it's it's a fast moving, you know, movie. The parts when they're sitting around talking about philosophy don't seem to drag or feel like, you know, you know, oh god, the boring part. You know, they they manage to make the scenes very visually, you know, arresting, you know, and all of that. And so if, if you manage to, you know, get the seeds planted, you know, in the middle of this very popular product, I mean, I think that's why it's an interesting movie in some ways. It's Well, I think it's interesting that you compare it to Star Wars because I think in a lot of ways it works on this, the same way that Star Wars did, where if you saw this movie at an impressionable age, you know, if you saw it when you were a teenager, maybe in your early 20s, as, as we did, yeah. you know, it, it is going to be one of those movies that, that, that sort of locked into your psyche and, and did um, affect you in some way. You know, I, I will always like The Matrix. It's very entertaining. Yeah. It, it, it does have some problems, which we'll talk about, but, but it is definitely one of those movies like Star Wars that, you know, really does sort of, uh, you know, define uh, a certain era in American culture, I yeah. think. I had to say, I thought it was going to be a lot hokier than it turned out to be. I mean... Uh, and some of the dialogue is yeah, definitely Of, hokey, of course. I think, I think what we found... To be the you know the funniest part was the music in it because it is very oh yeah pulse pounding you know late nineties industrial electronica which is you know I I don't like that kind of music but it's it's it the rest of it I mean I thought the costumes were going to look ridiculous I thought the effects were going to look ridiculous they do a lot actually it's fairly clever how they there are some things inherent to the movie that avoid it being dated i mean yeah nobody ever really dressed like that so you know if it is a it the the fashions are over the top and elaborate and weird enough that they stay looking over the top weird and elaborate rather than looking like a dated fashion for example um the effects if the you know i remember one of the things we talked about in uh the the star wars prequels i think episode two in particular is that you know, it looked like a cartoon. It looked like a video game. Well, this literally is a computer simulation. So if there are moments that don't look like, you know, they don't have to obey the laws of physics. Part of the point of the entire movie is that the laws of physics in this universe are a little malleable. And so that excuses kind of some of the late 1999-ness of it. And I would say it still does look good, which is do in a lot of ways to some very good and striking visual design. Yeah, yeah. And well, and I think it's also important to remember that that this did come out a few months before The Phantom Menace. Really? So, it looks so much better. Yeah, and I think part of the, you know, the, I think the only effect that really dated was in the bullet time and not the not the effect itself but the uh little the tracers at the end of the bullets that looked that was the worst looking thing in the movie i thought well i think the movie does you take you know it does use computer generated imagery you know to to a pretty large degree i i think that the nebuchadnezzar is all cgi you know obviously a lot of the um robots are cgi uh the the little um part where he puts his, his you know neo puts his finger into the mirror that's obviously cgi it's not it it, it it definitely is using CGI. It doesn't use it as much as the Phantom Menace, but 
part of the reason why it works, I think, is because this is a a dirty future. This is a a very sort of William Gibson cyberpunk Blade Runner sort of future. Yeah. And and so if it doesn't look perfect, if it doesn't look, you know, exactly real, it's okay because in the context of it, and that's what we talked about, I think, with with the Star Wars prequels, is that a lot of the reason why the CGI in those movies really did look like a cartoon is because there was no context for them. Whereas yeah. this does have context. They're they're combining practical, you know, effects and practical filming well, with the CGI. And that's it. I remember a lot like the the famous bull time sequence when he, you know, goes backwards and dodges the bullets like I mean at the time like because that was such a I mean, it, it was funny, you know, to see how many, you know, that, you know, stuff like the slow motion action sequences, you know, the Wolf Cra- all, a lot of movies do that now, but this was kind of one of the first really big ones to do that. I mean, there's, there's uh, it, it, in a lot of ways, some of the shots look derivative because everything copied this one in some ways, but yeah, I remember seeing, you know, how they did that sequence and, you know, they had a dozen cameras in a circle and, you know, he has wires on him and, you know, and it, so, but I mean, what the computers did was more erasing the wires, right. coordinating the cameras rather than we're going to create an animation and put that into. So it was more a way of, you know, I get, you know, while there are certainly, you know, computer graphics in there, it's more just computers assisting in the editing and the, you know, how these things were, how the effects were portrayed, I guess. But, it, but it's it's interesting that you say that the bullet time is sort of influential because for for all of the sort of popularity of the first Matrix movie and, and for all of its legacy, I don't really know what effect this movie had on movies you know i mean it 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 almost feels kind of forgotten it you know because it did Mm. come a couple years before 9-11 it came at a time before columbine you know and so our you know the last 15 years or so the last decade and a half of american culture has has been defined around you know violence and around you know a a very sort of in a very sort of singular type of violence a a, a terror you know a a threat of terrorism and and at the same time a threat of mass shootings and so this movie when you watch it 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 feels almost naive it feels almost sort of quaint in a way well i mean if you want to be very blatant about this the heroes of this movies are the heroes of this movie are terrorists who commit mass shootings. I mean, yeah. there is at, at that scene in the beginning. And let's not forget they are killing people. Well, yeah, we that will. I think that's a conversation we should have too. Because, um, but yeah, at the beginning, you know, the you know when Agent Smith is talking to Neo and he says, you know, you know, you could help us catch a terrorist, referring to Morpheus. I mean, it what they are. While they are doing something a little more than just causing terror, the dictionary definition of terror, what they are doing is. You know, they, they they bring a bunch of guns and kill a bunch of security officers into a federal building. I mean, they they it is tr- these are not the, the the these are people who are breaking up a system using very violent means, and it's seen as the right thing to do. The movie morally justifies it. In you know, whether it does in the real world or not, that's another conversation. But yeah, the movie's philosophy is that these characters are just the the ends justify the means, and. That's that was very striking and weird to see in a lot of ways. Yeah, because it almost you know what it, it it reminds me of a lot is it does remind me of that sort of period in American history when you know violence and and terrorism from 
I guess the counterculture, really. I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about things that happened in the '70s, right? So, yeah, it, it, it is. It is kind of out of that legacy. It is kind of out of that sort of 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 era in American culture. And you know, I guess it works. I don't. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to look at this movie and say that it has any sort of moral responsibility about what it's doing because, at, at the end of the day. It's a video game. And mm. so, I mean, you know, very famously, uh, you know, what is it? Max Payne um, borrowed yes. bullet time. You know, a lot. And that, that there are several games that had, you know, things like that. And this I, I I'm not really qualified to say, you know, how, what the effect was on movies. I don't really have the technical knowledge to know how to compare shots, for example. But, you know, yes, definitely. This game had a lot of effect on action video games. And how oh, they yeah. were. Uh, done and i mean there was which is odd that the matrix video game wasn't seen as as good as you know well, some that's, of the- well yeah that's true and that's why you know for me the matrix does it, it it does feel like a dead end because there's so many other things that it reminds me of and it is very derivative that i don't know if it had an effect on the way that we tell stories i think mm-hmm. it had an effect perhaps on well, on on special effects or or something like that, but you know, if you compare it to something like, I mean, you know, it reminds me of the, the game Deus Ex, which came mm. out a year after this. You know, it reminds me of this movie Dark City, which came out a few years before this. That one I haven't seen, but I, you should I, see it; it's very good. Um, and there was actually some some discussions about you know whether or not the Wachowskis were were plagiarizing <laughs> it, essentially, and and so you know, there's, uh, this there's was a, also around the time that Philip K. Dick started to become very popular. Obviously, Blade Runner, you know, you mentioned as an obvious influence on this movie, um, and that's, you know, after this is when Minority Report, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Scanner Darkly, also starring Keanu, yeah. not coincidentally. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And so, you know, I think that, and, and the other thing that's interesting about the movie, too, to me, is that I always remember the the scenes in The Matrix feeling very unreal, and and it, it took me a little while to figure out why. It's because it's shot in Australia. Like it just it just feels huh. a little weird to me because and I wonder if the I wonder if the scenes in the Matrix play the same for Australians as they do for the for the rest that's, of the world that's because interesting. just a slight it's a, it's just a yeah exactly it's a, it's off just slightly well you know that that's something interesting I think it was Adam Kadri who you know wrote this in a review but saying how the 1999 scenes never feel like the real world to him and it's true um. And I don't know if that I, – I guess my question, you know, in, in, you know, in his piece, he found that a flaw of it because, you know, you, you never get even from the beginning the sense that, oh, this is the real world and then suddenly the bottom drops out. So, you know, because it looks like a fake movie world from the beginning. Yeah. To find out that this is not actually real isn't as much quite of a shock. Imagine it shot in a, you know, strict realist style. You know, but I don't, you know, I I can see that criticism of the movie, but I don't know that I agree with it because I don't think that the effect that the the, the story has on the audience is incumbent on the shock of it not being the real world. Yes. You know, I think to a a certain degree, you know, the, the, you know, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to talk about some of the more philosophical aspects of, of the, of the movie, because, you know, one of the, one of the key questions of the movie is you know what is re- what is real yes. right what is reality and and the movie is very strongly coming down on the side of reality is whatever is affecting your brain in a certain way and so to to me well well you know you can disagree with me but i think that that you know to finish my point what what i think is it it actually to me seems 
important that the first half hour of the movie takes in place entirely in this unreal yeah. world because the shock to me of finding out that it's not the real world is you know it's one of those things where neo and some other people morpheus makes the point that that there are people that you know there was this guy that woke up or something yeah. and realized it wasn't real however that happened you know it's not really relevant it's almost sort of a it's a myth yeah it's a myth it's an origin story it doesn't really matter um but you know neo senses instinctively or subconsciously that something is off in the world and so to me that more time the audience's reaction to to the matrix scenes in the first half hour not feeling real to me kind of dovetails nicely with neo and his journey yeah no that that makes I, i i would agree with that um see i would say the movie does address the question of you know See, see, because that 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 is the true. It's the um, it's known as the brain in the jar experiment. You know, what would be functionally the difference between you know, you you and me? We we assume we are brains living in a you know body, and we, you know when we see something, it is actually our eyes that are you know taking that input, our ears that are hearing that. What would be the difference between that and a brain in the jar that is being stimulated in certain ways? You know, which would mimic you know the electrical impulses from the eyes. Yeah. Um, now, this movie says, well, no, there is a difference because there is an objective reality. Um, there is something, you know, the brain in the jar is an illusion, you know, and it needs to know that it is the brain in the jar. The character of Cypher is the one who is saying there is no real difference at the end of the day. The What the experience of the brain is what is prime, you know, is what is objective reality, which is kind of more of a solipsistic view of it, considering that it uh, it is. But but, you know, then here comes the question. um, According to Buddhism, all life is an illusion. According to, you know, Christianity, life is, you know, something else. And then we got we go into heaven. You know, there are different variations of this throughout, but. The question is, what is the difference between an illusory life and the real world? You know, is the real world any more real than being a brain in the jar is my question. And the movie, I would say, says, no, the real world is prime. The real world does exist. Um, A character like Cypher would find no difference between the two. Well, yeah, because there's that scene where he's sitting in the Matrix in the restaurant and he's giving that, you know, speech about how he knows the steak isn't real, but it's, you know, it's being programmed to fire off the neurons in his brain to make him think he's eating and he doesn't really care. And, you know, there's there's an element to that which is kind of naive as well because, you know, he's talking about them getting his body back and sticking it back into the Matrix. And it's like, is that really possible? I don't know. But... It, and it I is. mean that—that's a general thing. What that, I mean, that's in every movie when you have the character who's betraying the group. You know, are they really going to give him the reward that he wants? You know, probably not. But 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 I think that that the thing about it is that there is a. I I think that there's almost a a sort of tautology here because Morpheus and the rest of them are saying that the real world is important because the real world is important. Like, I don't really get a sense that yeah. anything is, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see. And then I think we see Zion in the next movie. I'm not sure. Now Z- I have Zion. not seen any of the sequels. And yeah. And I would actually like to talk about why later on, but we can, uh, but, but I think that, that, you know, once you start to see what the actual culture and society of this world looks like, you know, you kind of wonder like, is it, a, you know, I, 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 I'm left with a question of, is it a problem that 
the matrix matrix exists. Yeah, especially when you consider I mean, in a way this is a kind of mutualism between the human species and the robot species, the machine species. Um they have managed to find in a way a symbiosis, one which um you know, now yes, the this it's paternalistic on the view of the ro- on of the machines. The humans have not had any say in what the world would be like, you know, for example, yeah. you know, they they uh they talk about, you know, Agent Smith talks about this paradise incarnation of the matrix and then, you know, this one which is closer to the real world. I mean, obviously Which I have a problem with, but anyway. Yeah, well, th- 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 that there we go. Um I mean, number one, this is a simulation that is the a machine interpretation of the real world either way. I mean, is it the kind of thing where maybe it Maybe if the Matrix had been designed with cooperation between humanity, and let's leave aside for the you know for a second the question of who has the right to decide for humanity. Um, but actually, I don't know if we can because Morpheus is trying to decide for humanity. I mean, in a way, I don't know if the movie is willing to admit that Morpheus and the machines are the same in in a lot of ways. Right, because it, it, it does seem like – and the movie kind of glosses over the idea of emotion, right? And it never raises the question. But but it seems clear to me that that, that Agent Smith at least does have emotions. I mean he gets angry yes. and he gets upset. And you know, and so I, I don't know the, – the movie is I, – I don't – it's very difficult to talk about the machines because I don't think that the movie is very interested in treating them as a real thing. I, I, would, I would say that I don't think the movie is interested in realism at all. Yeah. And I yeah. – you know – Part of which, the reason, which but, could be a problem with the sequels, but we'll, we'll talk about them when we get to them. I guess that's part of why I see when I saw the movie, the end of the the ending of this movie. This movie feels complete to me. There are a lot of unanswered questions. Yes, we don't have a timeline of how the Matrix was built, but it's not going for realism. This is an extraordinarily symbolic movie. I mean, yeah, this is yeah. this is allegorical in almost a Pilgrim's Progress kind of a way. I mean, this is a this is fantasy. We are not supposed to take literal. All the character, you know, the characters represent different things. The play, you know, the the oracle, you know, she, it, it's a wonderful image that she's this old lady, you know, with cookies, and you know, that's a wonderful scene. I mean, she. But but I think but, that's that's part of the reason why I don't fully think that the Matrix works because it's borrowing a lot of ideas yeah. that it, I don't think that I'm not saying the the Wachowskis don't understand them but I don't think that they have translated it effectively into the movie and I don't think that the movie really engages with them on a real level. Yeah. It's, it's, In other words, it's a very middle brow borrowing of a lot of different concepts from religion and culture and society you know the allegory of the cave you know yeah. they're borrowing from christian mythology with the one they're borrowing from this whole you know greek thing with the oracle yeah but they're not really a bunch of it's a bunch of thing about it you know i i mean it's almost reminding me in a way of like you know tarantino at his best when he's he's taking elements from again kill bills and taking elements from samurai films and you know revenge films and uh westerns you know and all of these things and putting them into something which is the tropes commenting on each other which is you know building using these building blocks to this is just showing off a bunch of stuff they thought was cool well, and yeah, without because, saying something deeper about it well yeah and i think you know fundamentally and and you know maybe we can maybe we can talk about doing some some tarantino movies on a, on a truck about presents hmm. you know a season at some point because i think that would be interesting hmm. but I, I think that the you know it's interesting that you bring up tarantino because 
I think the primary and the Wachowskis, you know, have not had a you know luxurious career. I mean, they've done you know Speed, they, Speed Racer, they did Cloud Atlas, they did the the Sense Eight TV show for Netflix. I mean, they're working, which I still haven't but seen. I, I heard it was very sort of obtuse and 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 slow. And I just I don't know. I have too. I'm watching Mad Men now. Jonas likes it. Hi, Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for 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 me. You know, it it does say something about the Wachowskis as filmmakers because Tarantino works because, A, he loves movies, B, he understands them, and C, he's a fantastic writer and director. You know, even in his lesser movies, he is able to – his scripts are so great the dialogue is just, you know, it's 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 crunchy and satisfying. He has an ear. There, he has an ear. There's there's a joy and a pleasure. I mean, if you like movies, I mean, I'm someone that loves Terrence Malick, right? And you know, I, I watched Badlands for the first time last night, and it's just it was you know a profoundly moving and beautiful experience. You know, something like Days of Heaven, which I'm I'm afraid to watch again because I was so affected by it. You know, and so if you really appreciate and and get movies on a visual level. I don't know that there's much interest here in the Matrix. You know, I think that the thing about Tarantino's movies is that he's he knows where to put a camera. He knows how to create visual images that are just beautiful. You know, he's doing something that yeah, maybe he's not maybe he's not doing something quote unquote original, but he is taking his influences and mixing them into a blender and coming up with something transcendent. Whereas I don't know that the Wachowskis are doing that. I mean, yeah, they're borrowing from, from Blade Runner. They're borrowing from the Terminator. You know, they're borrowing from science fiction. They're borrowing from all sorts of culture and, and, and religious aspects. But at the end of the day, it never really all gels as the sum of its parts. Yeah, I, I might agree with that. Um, this feels like a movie for teenagers, and Tarantino feels like he makes movies for adults in more of a way. Yeah, and I think that that you know the Wachowskis on a, on a visual level. I mean, there is some interesting stuff with the way that they they direct and and actually you know film this movie. I think well, the cinematography is really interesting. I mean, I mean it's got this very desaturated look, and it, it it it's definitely not a colorful universe. Well, that's I mean that's a, number one. I mean, I know a lot of people have pointed out that you know movies today are blue and orange, you know, and I. I those are two colors I really dislike but I mean this is a very green movie particularly in the matrix scenes and it was very striking from that view which is maybe something which not you know which wouldn't quite have hit you know in 99 you know because it looks so different from you know other movies. Yeah, I'm trying to think of of what other, you know, science fiction action movies were were big around this time period and I'm kind of coming up blank. I mean, of course there was The Phantom Menace. I think there was, you know, Independence Day came out in 96. Uh, you know, there was I think there was a Jurassic Park sequel that came out. Uh, I don't know. And Robin was around this yeah, time. Yeah, it, it didn't, you know, but but that's actually a good point. I think that there was a period in maybe the mid to late nineties where things were very colorful and cartoonish. And maybe that was another reason why people hit on the matrix so much is that it did look different and it did maybe affect the way that movies were, were shot to some degree. And again, you know, I, I think the visual design of everything is very, you know, is very distinct. I mean, they made some very good choices, you know, anytime we see a computer screen, it makes no sense, but in a way, it doesn't date. You know, that whole Matrix reigning code, 
that's the least, you know, when he says, oh, I can see that, it's impossible, but it looks really fucking cool. I mean, well, what it reminds- and to this day, it looks like the Matrix, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, no, that's true, because what it reminds me of is is something like the Elkars panels from from the, the Star Trek, you know, Next Generation DS9 era. You know, it's like, the, how does that actually work? Would that actually, yeah. those controls actually work? But it doesn't matter. They look futuristic and they look very distinct. Yeah. And I think you're right in the same way the Matrix does look distinct. I mean, what struck me is how soft the science fiction is in this movie. I, I remembered it being a little harder than that, but I mean, in a way, they're kind of avoiding, you know, any any realism. Again, a lot of people have talked about how well it's, it makes no sense to use humans as batteries, and then someone will always point out, well, and in the initial script, you know, they were using it as you know hard drive storage or processing power or something like that. But it doesn't and, really matter. It, it, yeah, I mean, again, the, that, the, the, it, the, what, what matters is that, you know, humanity is constrained in a system from which it wants to escape. And that's what matters. It, it's interesting because this is making me realize that there's a very profound difference between people that, that, that treat movies as, you know, they want realism, they want verification, yeah. they want things to make sense. And then, you know, the Neil deGrasse Tyson school of, of film criticism. Huh. Uh, I'm making a face. But then also, <laughs> you know, there's there's the 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 side of 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 you know cinephileness that that I fall into, which is like I don't necessarily care that things don't add up entirely. Yeah. It's what they're doing with it, and that's it. I get you know it doesn't matter whether or not the Matrix can really exist, but there is a lot of profundity in. Lawrence Fishburne, you know, say, you know, look, we are slaves and we need to break out like that. that yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's a re- that's the resonance of the scene. That's the payoff. That's what that all means. Well, and I do want to talk about the economic implications of that as well, because I do think there are some criticisms of capitalism, you know, that are incumbent on this. But, for example, to, to, to talk about the ways in which the machines are using humans as a form of, of, of power, you know, the movie itself, the finished script, the finished movie is is. It's profoundly uninterested in the question because it even hand waves it away in the script where it says combined with a form of fusion. Yeah, and you're like, what? But it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It it it's it's a vehicle for them to tell this story, and the yeah. the mechanics of the real world don't matter. Yeah, what matters is that we have a very specific two social classes, one of which is exploiting the others for labor. Um, and frankly, this you know. Going into the backstory, you have, you know, man exploiting the machines for labor, the machines turning around and exploiting them. So you have, you know, and now we have a rebellion, you know, again, I mean, it is the cycle of history. It is of the oppressed rising up and becoming the oppressors. And it is about how, the, you know, there is no, uh, again, I mentioned, you know, there could be a kind of mutualism, a commensalism, you know, going on here, but each side is fighting the other you know uh, that's the important part of it that's that's the that that's the that's the theme that we, and we from that we can take it and apply it to a little more i mean i i would say you know because of this movie's focus on symbolism and allegory you know it is a it can be applied to a lot of things which probably is part of the reason for its popularity no i think so but I, you know at, at the same time i i don't know that the movie has aged that well in some respects. Because, well, yeah, you know it, the whole thing about AI is 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 very very cliche at this point, yes. and no one really believes that AI is imminent in any shape or form. It's a very difficult problem to solve. I also think that you know what really struck me on watching it this time was the software company that Neo works for is very much in the pre Google. 
pre-internet era where yeah. big software companies were the men in black, IBM, Microsoft, very buttoned down and very corporate. Well, here, you know... Not fun at all. Something, you know, this is... Remo- you mentioned Deus Ex earlier, and I remember when you... Uh, Played it not that long ago, you know. You said, "Oh, the you know the story is pretty much literally every '90s, you know, conspiracy theory cliche." And you also, re, you know, you recently did a watch of the X Files, and you said it's really funny watching the show now with the way it's talking about, "Oh, we're uncovering a government conspiracy." You know how that feels very naive, and this is certainly a part of that. And how the X Files has has come back. And I'm <laughs> curious how they, yeah, what, yeah, and and has sort of had to transcend a post 9/11 sort of thing, yeah, and not very successfully. But that's not really the point of the X Files. But anyway, well, here's the thing. You know, this is coming out in so 98, 99. This is when it's kind of so we had the first wave of personal computers in the 80s, which is when people are, you know, these are the more most hardcore nerds are having them. People who are interested in programming, you know. You know, maybe more homes are starting to get it, you know, for as the family computer, you know, that's happening. That's happening into the 90s. But it's at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s that they're becoming really widespread. And so this movie is in a way dealing with some of the fears that people are having that, oh, we're going to become trapped into our screens. Oh, we're going to. Here's the thing. So the Matrix is a period piece? Well, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Because here's the thing. We have a very intimate relationship with our technology, except we don't necessarily have the same ambivalence or fear of it that the Matrix had. I mean— Well, we're all carrying around pocket supercomputers. I now. was going to say, yeah, I, I've got one in my hand right this, you know, this moment, and— where was it that was talking about, you know, oh, if aliens, you know, looked at and they see, you know, our relationship to, to our cars, you know, they would assume that, you know, cars are the dominant species and we are serving them because we've built this highway system, you know, we feed them. We, in a way, we're doing the same thing with our phones. We are feeding them every night by putting them, you know, plugging them in. We are People taking sleep ca- with them. Yeah, we are taking care of them. We mourn them when they break, you know. We we have a relationship, we, you know, we, we play with them. We have entertainment from them. What's the difference between your phone and Hank except fur? Uh, well, yeah, but Hank also is alive. <laughs> well, I don't know, know where to go with that, but yeah, uh, don't we run a Star Trek podcast together? Are we going to really say that one thing is alive and the other is definitely full stop not alive? And I mean, <laughs> well, I don't think that my iPhone is alive, but no, I, but I mean, you know, and that's the thing. Yes, you know, on the one hand, that's ridiculous. On the other hand, you know, part of the thing of the, you know, well, I, that 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 goes back to the the fundamental question of the Matrix, which is the real world is prime and and the Matrix yeah. is not real, and and the the fact of the matter is the real world is is you know is is you know better than the Matrix because it is real. And to talk about our technology, it does affect us on a on a mental level, mm-hmm. but it's what's important is how we're reacting to it, not the fact that the technology is actually alive or not. Do you, and, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that is very fair. I mean, the you know, I I get pleasure from my phone. I also get pleasure from Hank, but yeah. my dog. But you know, <laughs> I, it's it's different, and I don't need to plug him in at night. So no, but you do need to give him food and take him out, and you know, uh, he does need sleep. 
and water. He needs a lot of sleep. He does need so much sleep. Well, to to wrap back around though to this question of 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 economic systems and yes. capitalism in the movie, I think that this is I don't know, I've never read any criticism of the Matrix that kind of talks about this. I think that this is something that is more prevalent in people's minds now as you know, Bernie Sanders is running for president, and there's you know Occupy Wall Street, which fizzled yeah, out. Yeah, this is an interesting movie in a post-Occupy. You know. it, it is, and I think that that you know one of the things that strikes me about it, of course, and I don't know how much I actually want to talk about this because it 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 is a very facile reading of the Matrix. I don't think it's saying anything that interesting yeah. or that profound. But at the end of the day, the movie is primarily about the ways in which the the machines are creating an environment, a universe, a world for people to be subservient to uh, consumerism and just to be pacified by technology, to be pacified by their lives in the same way that the capitalism that we have created is pacifying you know, basically the the entire world with with gadgets and 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 food and this, that, and the other thing, and just keeping them away from um, the realization that the the world is 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 there's more to the world than that and that you know it's keeping them pacified in a way because yeah. they're but not you know if if there's a reason why there's a reason why the great depression caused revolutions around the world and not in America there's a you know there's a reason why the great recession from almost 10 years ago now did not cause revolutions around the world. And we're seeing a slow release of, 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 you know, sort of tension or release of pressure now with some of the things that are going on. I think that there's a lot of anger in the world right now. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of intuit rage. I think that a lot of people don't really understand the, the ways in which the world has worked and the ways in which the world is not working for them. And so that's kind of where I take the matrix because it is a very, very literal interpretation of that. You know, it's, it's not Marxist, but, but it no. is, it, you know, it, it's, it's a subtext to the movie in the same way that a lot of the other things that it's borrowing are subtexts. Yeah, I would say that. And again, I, I don't think this movie has any deep answers. In some ways, it's two hours no. of slick action sequences that make you think about maybe some deeper stuff you know, later on. Um, but I think that that's okay. I think that's – again, if this movie got a couple of 16 and 17-year-olds to talk about you know, life in a slightly deeper you – know, then maybe it was worth it. I mean, let's you know, let's let's not overlook the fact that that some of the more, um, I mean, there is a certain degree where I think that it's problematic that the Oracle is a black woman because it does feed into the whole magic Negro, yes. Negro tribe, you know, uh, thing. But, but but at the same I, time, it is. I but let me let me let me also point out that half the cast is of color. Yeah, no, it's I, true. I mean that that's that was something which you know the the. Well, I want to talk about uh, Trinity and Switch for a second as women because they, they, you know, but, you know, this is a, I would suggest that the movie might be a little colorblind in some ways. Not a hundred percent. Well, and I think you'll be very, you will be very interested in the sequels. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah. But yeah, not a hundred percent. But again, you know, the, you know. Morpheus is black, but he's not treated as a magical Negro in yeah. any way. You know, yeah. the the other, you know, two, you know, two of the other guys are also they're either black or Latino. It's I couldn't, you know, quite tell from the, you know, I think there was a, uh, but to a certain degree, it doesn't really matter. 
Well, <laughs> no, 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 the point is this Race is, is a social construct. Anyway, but no, this is not a thing which has, you know, the one chick and the one woman. So I think, you know, that they made the Oracle black woman in this, I would say in context of the rest of it. Does it? You know, she doesn't stand out. She isn't the only, you know, true African American. I think that you could, yeah, you could definitely make an argument that, for example, someone like Guinan from Star Trek: The Next Generation much more fits into that that trope than than does the Oracle in the Matrix. Yeah, primarily because Whoopi Goldberg is, you know, really the only woman of color that we see on the show. Yeah. And frankly, the the Oracle is – I really like that scene. No, it's a good scene and I think that – She does one of those one scene and steals the movie things, you know? Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, you know, we haven't actually talked about all the characters in the because, movie and I think well, that it doesn't really matter. In a way, they're not really characters to a degree. I mean, you know, that's one of the – that's frankly one of why Keanu really works in this. He's not the finest actor, you know. He's not the most, you know – he doesn't have the most vibrant personality on screen, but that really works for this character who is kind of muted. I mean, th- th- this see, see, I guess that's that's where, where I'm going to go with um, because on the one hand, I like the fact I like the treatment of Trinity. It doesn't treat her as you know the chick. You know, she's not. Well, she. I mean, she very very singularly is the first yeah you know real quote unquote person that we see in the movie and she is kicking ass I mean, yeah i mean there you know there's that you know the the way trinity's femaleness to, you know is brought up there's the bit at the beginning when oh i thought you were a man yeah most guys do um there's that very brief bit when cypher gets a little rapey around her you know about it but that you know that scene is not even nearly as extended as I thought it would have been, and it's just kind of in the sense of him being generally creepy, so I don't find it too egregious. Yeah. And at the end when she you know, admits that she's in love with Neo, that is the only part that Trinity's gender comes into play. D- is that good or bad? I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. and I, I There is the degree to which in a situation like this, uh, I mean— it, in more starvation se- sequences and more desperate, you know, places, gender roles tend to blur a little bit. You know, you there's the example in, you know, on the, you know, in pioneer days on the prairie, you know, women aren't going to, you know, women are going to know how to shoot because, you know, if there's a coyote on the thing, they need to know how to use a gun. A man's going to need to know how to sew and cook or else he's going to starve and, you know. So I would say to a degree maybe their society would downplay the differences between genders just because – it's it's very inefficient to have that kind of divide. But you know, I don't I, know. I, I don't know because I actually kind of disagree with you. I think that there was a profound there there were profound gender roles in you know pre-feminist society. Yeah. And yes, of course, part of that was patriarchy and part of that was the fact that men had taken power. Yeah. But but it also was to a certain degree a, a, a real thing born out of necessity. You're there, pregnant and you, you know, going to labor that is going to be physically Well, not even we, not yeah. even that. I just mean like, you know, the the woman stays home because mm. someone has to take care of the house and you know, when 
uh, you know, in a, in a pre-electrical, in a pre-electrical civilization, in a, in, yeah. in a pre-sort of, you know, a, a, a steam engine society where, you know, actually taking care of a house was a lot of fucking work. Yeah. You know, that someone had to be there to do it and the woman had to be there to do it because she was probably pregnant. You know well, what I mean? Like, yeah. so she can't be out chopping wood because she's pregnant. Like, there's, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, I, I don't, don't think I'm overestimating that point. I would say more of a blurring than, a you know, an elimination. Um uh, maybe get you know given given the extrapolation for this and frankly given the t- given the other kinds of sh- shows which were around at this time I mean, remember this is the era of buffy of xena of um charmed of all of these shows which had you know you know this was the era which girls were kicking ass yeah. so yeah. you know trinity comes off maybe a little interesting now but she was kind of not particularly noticed at the time yeah yeah and i think it is it is a sad commentary that that sort of that sort of trope in our in our popular culture sort of disappeared a little bit and it's coming back a little bit now but it's still not you know it's still not there to to the degree that it was in the late 90s i mean and don't get me wrong again i don't think this is a feminist masterpiece either no no i don't think that this is a masterpiece of anything but but i would say i'm really happy to see that this is not a misogynistic piece yeah i think that's probably where you can take that but i also think let's not forget that that you know, Neo dies and, and Trinity's kiss brings him back to life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't that's, exactly know what that means. I don't exactly know where that's borrowed from. It's but, it, for, uh, uh, a, a little story called Rapunzel. Well, that's I, mean, what I mean, yeah, I was kind of going you know, with that. The, like, it, it's a fairy tale sort of thing. There actually is an element to the movie that does feel like a fairy tale. Yeah, but given that this is, but give, given the movie's general avoidance of realism, it kind of works like it, it, it at this point, he is becoming, you know, he is he is Christ by the end of the movie. And so, yes, if somebody, you know, somebody named Trinity kisses the Christ figure and he comes back to life. Yeah. I mean, like, as on the nose as that is, I mean, I, re, you know, I get the point. Like, looking for the exact mechanics of how that worked is well, missing is missing the point a bit. And I think what you just said is you know, it's it's a profound example of why the matrix is probably not that interesting to talk about on the level of engaging with the ideas in the movie because yeah. they're very on the nose, they're very obvious. You know, you're right, Trinity <laughs> come on. You know, it's just you kind of have to roll your eyes at a certain point. So, okay, this is what's happening now, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, I feel like it it it's a movie that has aged pretty well. I think that it, it still looks great. I think that again, it, I had fun watching. It's it. fun. I, I think it's a little too long. I think that the yeah. ending and action scenes go on a little too long. But yeah, for the no, most part, to a degree, that's almost you know. Oh, we're going to show off this. You know, the the scene in the subway is like the big climax. We want to show everything, every effect we can think of. We're going to put pile into this part you know right right so yes if that does go a little long i'm trying to watch that with 1999 eyes and just seems some spectacle i don't know if the pacing of the movie is completely okay there's an Mm -hmm. element to which i think that the the first you know 45 minutes of the movie almost feel like a tv pilot well that's it i mean it is a good half hour before they start to explain the matrix and then another 10 15 minutes before they even get out of it like yeah it's, it's a very I mean, the, the 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 beginning is very languid. It is, yeah. It's very very slow, and it's very it's very paced. Interestingly, but we said that about Star Wars too, didn't we? Um, which one? The prequels? The first one. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think this movie... It's No, it's not as meandering and, you know... I, I don't I, think it moves as well as, as the first Star Wars, though. I would agree. You know, I think that there is definitely a... There is an episodicness to the way that the Matrix is structured, but it's not as delineated as Star Wars. No, and especially because Star Wars has some very visually dis- Star Wars, as we said, it's a series of set pieces almost. There's, you know, the ship at the beginning, there's Tatooine, there is, you know, the Death Star, there is, you know, the ending. That's the structure of Star Wars. You can't necessarily put this into chunks uh, yeah, in physical location as well. But I, but I think at the end of the day, I think what you said earlier is is probably the most important thing about the Matrix, which is that, yeah, its ideas are a little facile. It's not really engaging with them. It's very derivative. It's not original, but it does move and feel. You know, it 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 does move and feel like nothing else. I think it, it, in that respect, it does work. And I think that that if nothing else, if you see this movie when you're a teenager or when you're impressionable, and you go out of it wanting to figure out the ideas in the movie and engage with the actual ideas more than yeah. the Matrix. I think that that's probably okay. I think that that's, yeah. that's probably what popular middle-brow culture is probably best at. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Watching this as an adult, I didn't feel insulted by it. I felt insulted by the Star Wars prequels. Like, yeah. you know, this was, you know, even at the parts, again, even when, you know, Trinity is kissing Jesus, you know, I didn't feel like, oh God, really? You know, like, I wasn't, em- this is not an embarrassing movie, which is strange. I didn't realize it wouldn't be. I think that there are parts of it that are embarrassing, well, but I think some of the dialogue is not great. And I think <laughs> that especially the over the top, shoot up in the lobby is a little yeah i went to the bathroom at that point because really i don't need to see that again yeah you know like it's just there are parts of it that do feel a little yeah yeah. not childish but but a little a little adolescent i would say okay that's fair but for the most part i think the movie holds up okay good for it well i'm excited to see the sequels because i feel that there's no way that could be as good I, I don't remember much about them. I'd only seen them once, I think. And they actually both came out the same year. Yeah, they, I, was I think say, they filmed they... them concurrently. So uh, I, I don't even know if they were designed. I don't think The Matrix was designed. I mean, it has, does have similarities to Star Wars in that respect as well, where the yeah. original Star Wars was just a story and there were no sequels planned. And, you know, this this I don't think had sequel. They don't have they didn't have sequels in mind either. And I think that the success of the Matrix. Yeah. Then they made the Animatrix, which which we're not doing. But oh, but I'm sure it sounds great. (laughs) But I think at the end of the day, it'll be interesting to see where the prequels or where the sequels go. And God, I hope they don't do Matrix prequels. That'd be horrible. Um, (laughs) But yeah, we'll we'll see. I don't know. I'm I'm. I, I remember almost nothing about them. Well, so we'll find out. We'll find out next week when we talk about The Matrix Reloaded. But don't forget, we have another podcast truck about where we announce the third season of DS9. Shit is getting real, so check it out. If you have any thoughts on anything that we just said in this podcast on The Matrix, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of Trackabout Presents at trackaboutshow.com. Check out our Patreon. Give us some money like the other 15 people that are cool. And you'll get some cool perks like... A special episode of Trek About every month from us that you can only get by giving us $5 a month or more. Leave us an iTunes review. We would appreciate it. We only have one for Trek About Presents. We would like more people to hear the show. And as always, our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Trek About Show. 
All right. Well, that's The Matrix. So once again, join us next week for Truck About Presents when we talk about The Matrix Reloaded.